Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I want to invite you to stand up with me while we read it. All right, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. You're wondering, why are we still in Luke 2? It can't possibly still be Christmas, right? I know I told you about the 12 days of Christmas. You're right, Christmas is over. That's why the decorations are gone. The tree isn't up here. But uh, we have decided to, for the next few weeks, to hang back and to read through these passages that are traditionally called the infancy narratives in the Gospels. Uh, these are the stories of Jesus in his infancy and in his childhood that you can find at the beginning of the book of Matthew and the beginning of the book of Luke. And the reason why we're doing this, uh, if you can remember, back before Advent, so back before Thanksgiving, we had been preaching through the Gospel of John. And we'd been doing that for quite a while. And we stopped right at the point where we were at the arrest and betrayal of Jesus. Well, we're going to get back to that in a few weeks as we go into the lead up for Easter, but we thought we'd just take a moment right now to refresh ourselves on the beginning of the story, to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because these stories, even though we read them at Christmas time, they are not just for Christmas. This story wasn't written for Linus to say it in the Christmas Carol. This was actually written for an important purpose. The, the gospel writers picked these stories and put them at the beginning of their books about the life and ministry of Jesus because they set the stage for what is to come. And particularly this story. This story where the angels announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. In these few moments, Luke establishes in, in one triumphant scene who Jesus is, and what kind of salvation he has come to bring. 
And so as we look at this very familiar story this morning, I I hope you're going to come away with at least this bit of knowledge. I want you to know that God, the God who reveals his salvation to shepherds, is the God who will reveal himself to you as well. The God who reveals his salvation to shepherds is the God who will reveal himself to you as well. And we're going to break that down into three parts as we go through the text. First, we're going we're to look at how God saw the shepherds. Secondly, we're going to see how God delivered a message. And finally, we're going to see that that message has a meaning and a purpose. So first, let's talk about how God saw the shepherds. A few months ago now, I went to a conference, and as I may have been skipping one of the sessions, uh, (laughs) I was at a bar next to the conference, and I was talking to the bartender, and uh, this bartender was a really lovely lady, um, and we were talking about, she was relatively new to the job, and she was telling me how much she liked being a bartender because it gave her a chance to meet people, and the hours weren't so bad is what she said. And that kind of confused me because I thought that bartender hours were, were pretty late. You know, that they were, it was a, they were pretty tough hours. But then she told me that before becoming a bartender, she had spent a lot of years as a, a sanitation worker. That she had been driving a garbage truck. And while the job, she said, had great benefits and it paid really well, the hours were awful. She said she, she basically worked all night long, every night of the week. And then she could only see her family one day. And on that one day, her cycle was so messed up from being awake all night long that she felt like a zombie. And so she felt like during those years, she barely saw anybody, and she barely had any kind of life. So she really enjoyed being a bartender. And as I was talking to her about that sanitation job, it helped me to realize, you know, there's this whole world of people that I know very little about. In my neighborhood... I take the kids to the bus stop at 6.30, and the trash is already gone from our neighborhood by that point. I don't know if it's the same way where you live. But that means that there is this entire industry of people who work hard throughout the night, missing out on lots of other life activities, mostly going unseen, and they're there to serve the rest of society, to keep things moving along. Those kinds of workers, I think, make a decent parallel to the shepherds that we read about in Luke chapter 2. These guys, they lived outside of the town. They were constantly managing these large flocks. But a lot of the commentaries I read this week suggested that the reason they were managing the flocks was because of the sacrificial system in Jerusalem. That they needed these sheep to be nearby, to be available, to keep those, that worship going. So in, in a sense, they served a, a crucial role in the sacrificial system. They had an important position in this society, but even though they had this important purpose, they were not thought of very highly, right? They were not thought of as important people. They, you know, the day-to-day life of these guys was pretty rough. They lived outside of society. They spent most of their time outside, outdoors. Uh, They moved around a lot. They were transient. They didn't have like a fixed place where they would be. And because of that, uh, they they didn't have great reputations. They were thought of as being 
uh, a little shifty, a little, you, you couldn't really trust them. Uh, maybe they didn't have the best appearance because of the way they lived, or, or maybe not the best smell because of the way they lived. And yet, they were crucial to the functioning of this society. They were important to the society, but they were basically nobodies. They were unimportant, unseen, overlooked by the world. And that is precisely the point of this narrative. What Luke wants us to see here is that the very first people that got the birth announcement from the angels, they were nobodies. What were their names? We still don't know, right? But God knew them. God saw them. God saw those men out under the stars, and he sent his heavenly messengers directly to them. They said this message is going to cause good news of great joy for all the people. And so he sends the messengers directly to the people, right? Not to the elites. The good news in the Gospel of Luke, it begins with the least and the last. And remember, this is not some kind of multi-point announcement. There wasn't other angels going out at the same time, simulcasting the message to the kings and the emperors and the people on the throne. God started at the bottom. And he let this message spread upwards. You read at the end of the passage how from here, these guys went and they told everybody. The word spread out from them, from the bottom up. He chose these guys to become the messengers of the greatest hope the universe has ever known. God valued these overlooked shepherds. He saw these people that nobody else saw, and he saw them as people of tremendous worth, people who deserved a great privilege. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think at the very least, what it should tell us is that God sees you. Do you ever feel like nobody sees you? Do you ever feel like there's nobody out there who really understands you? Do you ever feel like that there's, there's parts of you deep down that no matter how much you want them to be known, no matter how hard you try to explain yourself to, to others, you can't quite communicate it. You can't quite get your heart out there the way you want it to be. And so you feel distant. You don't feel like you're truly seen. Do you, do you know that feeling? Sure you do. This week, the other night, I was sharing with Melissa some things that were on my mind, things that, that, were, that were burdening me, and, and, and she was listening to me. You know, she was trying to comfort me and, and assure me in these processes, but... but Throughout the conversation, I just found that I was getting more and more anxious about it. It wasn't helping at all. It, it was, in fact, it, it had the opposite effect. It, it, it made me feel misunderstood. We just couldn't quite get through that communication barrier. Have you had moments like that in relationships? Moments like that, they make you feel lonely. They make you feel misunderstood. They make you wonder, is there anybody out there who can truly see you? 
Well, this, is a pa- this passage is a reminder that God sees you. That lonely shepherd in the dark, out in the field, is close to the center of God's heart. God, when he had a chance to pick out of the entire world any group of people to deliver this message to, he chose this group, this one group of people that no one else noticed. And so what I'm saying is, if if they matter to the Lord, then this moment means that you matter to the Lord just as much. This gospel that Luke is writing is a gospel that is for you, not for some other special person out there who really gets it. It's not just for some super religious person out there. It's not for the smartest person out there or the most beautiful or the most influential. God saw the shepherds, and God sees you even when sometimes it might feel like nobody else does. But not only does he see them, the second thing we learn in this passage is that he has a message for them. God gave the shepherds a message, right? When he sees these guys, he doesn't just see them, but he tells them something. And here's what it is, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so we, we saw that when this first happened, the, the shepherds are terrified by the presence of this angel. They're terrified, but the angel knows that and says, don't be afraid. And he tells them they don't need to fear, but instead they should rejoice because something great has just happened. Now, the great thing, the reason why they need to rejoice is because, well, he tells it to them in three names, three names and and one mystery. He gives them three titles for Jesus, and then one kind of confusing statement. I just closed my sermon by accident while we were talking. That's why I'm kind of scrambling up here. Um, So here it is. These three titles. He says that this baby is born, is going to be first a savior. Uh, And the word for savior in the Greek is soter, soter. And the word soter has had a lot of political implications at the time. So uh, in Egypt and in Syria, some of their great leaders had that as a part of their title. It would be, you know, whatever their name is, soter, you know, uh, king whatever the first, soter. In the, the Roman Empire, where these people lived, they often referred to the emperor himself as savior. And, and speaking of the empire, speaking of the empire, uh, these people in Israel, they were living underneath an oppressive Roman rule. These, they were being exploited. They were being mistreated. 
And they were literally looking for someone who would come and free the people from the rule of the Romans. Now, uh, I think it's important to mention the... It's important to mention the, that there are political tones to this word savior because we usually think about that in a spiritual term, right? When we think about a savior, we think about being saved from our sins, we think about being saved from death. But the idea of salvation in scripture is a bigger idea than that. Uh, it has both modern day worldly aspects to it and it also has a spiritual aspect to it. Uh, Justo Gonzalez, he says that salvation in scripture means liberation. It means freedom from the bondage of sin and the promises of eternal life. And then skipping down here, it says, to say that Jesus is Savior means that he frees people from all evil. And that includes sin, eternal death, disease. It also includes oppression, and it includes exploitation. The word Savior in the Old Testament is a word that gets used to describe these people who come to rescue the Israelites through various points in their history. So you, you think of Moses is called a savior, or Joshua, or Gideon. Those guys come and lead the people into freedom. But the term savior, it also gets used for God himself. It's a word that is packed with all of these huge meanings, all of these great worldly and divine expectations. And the angel says, first of all, this baby is a savior. That's the first term. But he's not just a savior. The second term the angel gives is that he's a messiah. Now, you might be familiar with the term messiah. That's a, the Hebrew word that means the anointed one. The one who is set apart. The one who is chosen by God. The term Messiah is a, a technical term. It's a specific term that shows up all throughout the Old Testament. And it is this leader who was long prophesied who was going to come and deliver the people. The Messiah. That's the second term they give. And then the third term is that he is the Lord. This is the Greek word uh, that is typically used to refer to God himself. And that's an amazing thing. I keep changing this slide, but it keeps magically changing back. Stay. Okay. <laughs> so the Messiah was a leader who uh, was long prophesied, but the Lord is God himself. It's an amazing thing. D did you know uh, in all of Scripture, Lord and Messiah, they only show up next to each other right here. It's uh, an amazing thing. Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord, or Christ the Lord, as you might have heard it before. It's pretty complicated. It's complex. Scholars have written lots about it. And the truth is, these, these shepherds in the field, there's no way they could have possibly understood what God was trying to tell them in that moment. But the angel is trying to say that the anointed one, the one who is set apart by the Lord, is also the Lord himself. That the one who anoints is the anointed. That's who's coming to rescue them. That's who's coming to bring them salvation. He is coming to redeem their souls. And one day, this king is going to come and restore all of creation. He's going to come and restore and heal our world completely. And so those are three amazing titles that come in that proclamation. But then he gives them one curious mystery. 
Where are you going to find him? Well, he's in a feeding trough. This Savior, who is so great that he deserves a terrifying angel from God to show up and to announce his birth, is here. And where are you going to find him? Well, not in an ivory tower, not in a soft bed, but in a manger. And that is the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? The gospel is this message that is announced and offered to the least of us. And it is a message about a Savior who is coming to conquer, not through his power, but through his lowliness. Not through enforcing his will, but through serving the world. Now, make no mistake about it. Jesus is glorious. He is exalted. He is almighty. He is terrifying. And yet, because of his love for us, he humbled himself so that we could receive him without fear. So I said just a a moment ago that this revelation from the shepherds, when, when God comes to the shepherds, it's telling us that he sees you. Well, his arrival in the manger is telling us that he wants you to know him. Right? When he shows up to the shepherds, he's showing us that he sees the least and the last, that he wants to know you. But when he comes in the manger in this humble form, he is showing us that he wants you to know him. He wants you to approach him. This humble scene, it's telling us that his heart is profoundly bent towards us. It actually reminds me of that great and famous invitation that Jesus gives in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." In a sense, the scene in the manger is the visual representation of that verse. Jesus is Savior. He is Messiah. He is Lord. He is the only one who is powerful enough to to conquer our enemies and to free us from sin and to actually give us rest that our souls long for. He's the only one powerful and big enough to do that, but he's also gentle and lowly. He took the low place so that you could come to him and be lifted high. Ambrose of Milan, the person I named my son after, uh, he said it this way. He said that he became an infant and a child so that you might be a perfect person. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths so that you might be absolved from the bonds of death. He was in a manger so that you might be at the altar. He was on earth so that you might be in heaven. He had no room at the inn so that you might have mansions in heaven. See, this great and mighty Savior and Lord, the reason why he comes this way is because he wants you 
to be with him. That's the message that the angels delivered, and it's still the message for us today. And the third thing I want us to see this morning is that message that he gives us is a message that has meaning, and it's a message that has a purpose. You know, this is a vivid picture in Scripture. It's one of those scenes that gets my imagination working, right? You can kind of put yourself there and imagine what it would have been like. You think about those shepherds, they're out in the country, spending their night out under the stars, maybe a cool night. It's before electricity, right? So there's no glow coming from the city. It's dark. The only thing lighting the sky, the stars, the moon. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up and the glory of the Lord, it says, is shining around him. You know, these guys... The biggest light they'd probably ever seen before is maybe a bonfire or something. And here the whole sky is lit up. Of course they're terrified. It must have been shocking. It must have been blinding. And then the angel, he tells them not to be afraid. And as soon as he does, verse 13 happens. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying. I mean, would that not have been like, you know, turning on the Dolby surround sound, you know, like it had to at least have been a jump scare to have all these people show up all of a sudden. But the words that they spoke in that moment are incredible words. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Those words might sound a little different than you remember them. Right, A lot of the Christmas hymns, they say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's how Linus says it, right? That's what we remember. But this is actually a much better and more accurate translation of the text. What we have here in front of us is uh, a better translation, and it's more consistent with the overall purpose of what Christ came to do. See, the angels are proclaiming that Jesus comes to bring peace. He comes to bring peace on earth and and true peace. He's not going to be like the other saviors. He's not going to be like these political leaders who bring temporary peace, a ceasefire that, that doesn't last for very long. He's here to bring lasting peace between God and human beings. And the angel in their chorus They're pointing out that's not something we have on our own. We don't have peace with God. Our default way of living is not living at peace with God. In fact, it's disconnected from God. It's in rebellion against God. And it's kind of funny as we study this passage because on one hand, we love this this message that God sees us. We like to hear that, don't we? It's comforting to know that God sees us. We like this picture of a God who lowers himself to redeem us and lift us up. And we should love that. That's one of the most amazing things that's ever happened in the history of the universe. But, you know what's an ugly reality? You know what it is that we don't like to see? Our own hearts. What we don't like to see is the reason why Jesus had to come in the first place. 
Jesus had to come because if God doesn't come, if he doesn't come to us, we will never come to him. If God doesn't come to us, we will never come to him. Instead, we're going to spend our whole lives trying to fill them up with everything but him. And we never get filled. We're always empty. We're always searching. We're always looking. We're always living out in the darkness, looking around for something. And I guess in that way, we are kind of like those shepherds in a field. Out in the dark. But the good news is that just like God showed up to them, he still shows up to us. Just like he shined his light out on those shepherds, he will still shine his light on us today. Now the message, it says, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. So that means that this peace, it's not a peace for everyone. It's only for the people who have the favor of the Lord. It's only for the people who have the light of the Lord shining on them. But what I want to encourage you about this morning is, if you want his light to shine on you, it will. If you want him to shine on you, then, then he will. If you are longing to encounter God, you should know with absolute certainty this morning that he's already working in your life. See, if you see this picture of a Savior and you say, I need a Savior like that, well, that means the lights have already come on. Because you cannot possibly want him unless he first comes to you. You are the one on whom his favor rests. That is the meaning of this message that the angels came to proclaim. But the last thing I want to say is this. The message that they gave is a message that still has a purpose in our lives. It's true. If this is true, what the angels say, that we as God's people are the ones where God's favor rests on us. And if it's true that, that we really are nobodies, that we don't deserve it, that we are a bunch of people who are out in the dark, detached from him, and he shone his light on us, and he sent us a Messiah, he sent us a Savior, he sent us the Lord so that by his sacrifice we could be brought in, so that we could be at peace with him, not just today, but for all eternity. If that's true, if that's happened to you, if that's happened to us, then we have to Proclaim that message to the world. When the shepherds finally go, when they leave the field and they see Jesus, Luke tells us that when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds, when they heard about Jesus, when they saw Jesus, they immediately went and they told everybody. And think about it. What did they know about Jesus at that point? Well, they knew what they'd been told, and that's about it. But how much more do we know today? How much more of him do we have today? 
We know so much more of Christ, right? We have received all the promises that he came to offer. Because of his blood, we're counted righteous. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are seen. We are welcomed. We are loved. And so if we have not just seen him laying in a manger, but if we see him and we know him, then how can we not go out and do the very same thing these shepherds did? How can we not be transformed completely by the assurance that God sees us, that he knows us, that he is redeeming and saving this world right now? And how can we not go out and and take this message out to the community and share it with all those people who haven't seen his light yet? So my prayer is that this year we would do that. That we would go out and that we would tell the world, and like we see in this passage, that they would be amazed by what they hear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this passage where you show us your love for the least and the last. And we recognize the more we see our own hearts that that's who we are. We don't deserve your love, but you offer it nonetheless. And so I pray for anyone who feels like they're on the outside looking in, who feels misunderstood, who feels that they aren't seen. And I pray, God, that today they would know you see them. I pray that all of us would turn our hearts and our lives towards you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would take the message out to the rest of the world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.